Welcome to the Forging Otter Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing weekly challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We're doing our best to learn and hope you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to forginghonor.com to find information on how to join our community. This is bonus episode in the flesh. Hopefully bonus episode one of several. Yeah, we'd like to do this again. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Forging Honor podcast, our very first in-person recording uh, that we've ever done. JJ is normally in his home base in uh, the Fortress of Solitude in Columbia, Tennessee, and I'm normally up in the, the chilly climes of uh, Pennsylvania, but today for, for one night only, and not in front of a live studio audience, but well, close we enough. We're in front of each other. <laughs> That's exciting. Um, it is funny, actually, now that um, we're in front of each other. Uh, you know, your wife was saying earlier, you, you put on a little radio voice when we do these things. I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm noticing it now. It's kind of funny. This might, in fact, this might be the first time that listeners of the podcast hear me without a radio voice. If we ever get there, you're still like, you're I'm still kind of in it. there. But I think that this is the closest that anybody's going to get. Because now that I'm looking at JJ, dear listener, I am like able to kind of get my brain out of like, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a podcast. Oh, I, have, I have things to say. Uh, and I'm more in like, I'm going to talk to JJ and we're going to have a conversation. It's going to be good, right? We have pipes in hand. We have uh, whiskey, uh, rye uh, in the glass. So forgive any random noises our mic picks up as we uh, enjoy our tobacco and our drink. So normally we would, uh, on the podcast, of course, we would have our challenge. Obviously, there's no challenge. We're still working through our conversation challenge. Uh, and today seems like it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. Are you enjoying that? Just we don't want to. I mean, step we don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's been good. I, it's one of those things where I'm realizing um, I thought I had a lot more intentional conversations, right? Than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been more challenging to do than I realized. But we'll talk about that in a week. So we will get there when we get there. Anyway, this is a practice in conversation. Yeah, in some ways, I, I, absolutely. Um, although this is more structured because you, Banjo, have written up few uh, yeah so uh, i thought that this particular episode since we're kind of gonna normally we have the challenge and normally jj and i are kind of we're talking about something else i thought this might be a fun opportunity if anyone doesn't know us but i'm assuming that of the you know the three listeners that are out there you guys (laughs) hey it's more than three (laughs) we're in the double digits (laughs) you guys probably know uh most of of things about us but i think the one thing that we hide pretty well on the podcast is that JJ and I have like several major differences of opinion. And the majority of our friendship, I think, is like based around like hashing out those differences of opinion. It's important. You got if for a good friendship, you have to have that, right? And it's minor stuff. You know, it's not like it is nothing. Otherwise, we would not be friends. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that are absolutely minor that we have gone hours and hours and hours over. So I made a little list. If I think of any, I'll make I'll continue to add to the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if there are any things that you would like to hear our opinions on, please join us in the Discord. Send us a message. We'd love to to answer any questions. But I have a, a few questions just to get us going uh, of things that we might agree cold. or disagree on. First off, 
JJ's putting on his flannel. Potentially. We're both flannel wearers. Do you wear, I'm going to start here. This wasn't on my list, but I'm going to start here. Yeah. Do you always wear a shirt underneath your button down? Yes. Always? Uh, I, well, one exception. If I'm at a pool. At a, wait a minute. Do you wear a flannel to a pool? Not flannel, button down. Okay, button down to a pool. Why? Are you going to like fancy dinner parties where part of the attire is like you, you show up <laughs> no, and no, no, no. you're going to take um, it off? No, I do wear, usually if I'm at a pool, it's on a Sunday afternoon. And I happen to have the belief that um, I should be dressing well on Sundays. So it, typically it's, it's one of the more casual button downs. Not a flannel, but it is going to be some kind of cotton, um, just cotton button down, casual, meant to be untucked kind of thing. <laughs> do, you, do you wear... The button down in the pool, like in the no, water. No, no, no. <laughs> I wear it to the pool. I wear it if I get out of the pool. Um, and of course, I have my swimsuit on, so it needs to. It, usually, it's a white it flannel. To match. It's a white flannel or a striped one that matches the swimsuit. Yes. Okay, so we have our first point of disagreement because I have. I used to be strictly speaking, you have to wear the white shirt underneath. But uh, I I went overseas for for two weeks once yeah. to India and it was so hot there and everybody there wears the button down shirt with no undershirt. And I realized it's brilliant because it's very cooling to be able to get the breeze underneath mm-hmm. and not to have to wear the white shirt. Well, let me ask you, what kind of weave are they all wearing? Mostly linen. That's important. Mm-hmm. So linen is not as common here. I have a linen suit jacket. I love if I had linen shirts, I would do that more often. Linen is great. I do, I do have a cotton shirt that is a very light weave that I will wear without an undershirt, but again, only very rare occasions, much more casual occasions. The reason being an undershirt just adds, uh, it helps the way uh, a finer material drapes. Yeah. It also helps prevent sweat from getting to the outer layer. Yep. Um, and it also prevents any see-through that might occur on a sunny day, um, which is good. I will say I one of my favorite looks that I wish we could bring back is the Steve McQueen white t-shirt and khaki pants look. Problem is white t-shirts are not cut the way they used to be. White, like the, yeah. the nice one. Yeah, yeah, you can pay money for them. I'm sure there are companies out there that do this. I just have not invested the time or the money into that. But most of the packs of white t-shirts you buy, um, and they're, they're, they're cut to be undershirts. Right. And I think we need to change that. I, I just want to say, if anyone's out there and they're listening to the Forging Honor podcast and they have the business idea for starting a company of just exclusively white t-shirts, Sign me up. I would. I would like. Because <laughs> Banjo has the money to spend on that's that. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so that where are we going? There's there's our first one. Yeah. All right. Um, Next. Let's go. Let's let's try a little something. We're enjoying a, a little rye whiskey tonight, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears to. What's your preference? Beer, wine, or whiskey? Depends on the occasion. Depends on the occasion. Good answer. What's your most common? Whiskey thing? would be the most common. Whiskey is most easily enjoyed with a male friend. Mm. You know, anything, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite ways to spend time. Aww. And we're doing that right now. Case in point. Um, I will say different types of whiskeys for different occasions. Mm-hmm. Whiskeys are versatile. You can mix them with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Beer is nice. Uh, it's a lot more cooling. So I drink more beer in the summer. Yeah. Uh, it's a great refresher. Yeah. It's like if I've had a long hard day, if I'm working outside or something. So mm-hmm. that's often a weekend thing. If I've been mowing the lawn or something. Mowing the lawn to a beer, great, incredible. Love that. Um, wine just feels so formal. I'm also don't, I also don't have the budget for mm-hmm. wine. Like the budget comparison between whiskey and wine. Um, whiskey bang for your buck, just 100 mm-hmm. percent better. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you have multiple glasses out of, but I mean, the amount of, like you have theoretically on a standard bottle of whiskey, like one of, one of these guys right here. We're drinking a nice Knob yeah, Creek. This is, Again, if the Knob Creek people want to sponsor us. I love Knob Creek. I'm not sponsored. I wish I was. I would absolutely take a sponsorship from Knob Creek. Um, Knob Creek, but a standard bottle, that standard size, um, the 750 milliliters. It's going to be about, what is it, like 16, depending on the ABV, about 16 glasses probably to 20, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, mm. if you're drinking a higher ABV. I like, uh, here's what I like. I like whiskey for, if I'm just at home with my wife and I'm watching TV, a small, small glass of whiskey. Because mm -hmm. you can just sip it. That's true. And it's great for like a 20-minute episode, and you're not doing anything crazy, and, you know, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's good. What about yourself? Yeah, I would say my most common beverage is beer. My father drank mostly beer. He's a beer guy. He's a beer guy. IPA guy, so I'm an IPA I guy. I do like IPAs. I love a good IPA. It's the most refreshing of the beverages. Can be. I don't know. My, so my father, he was a German beer guy, like the German Pilsners. Those mm. are very refreshing. Chris. I think they're less, uh, they can be less flavorful than IPA. And IPA is yeah. also higher ABV, so you have to be kind of careful with mm -hmm. those if you're having multiple drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, an IPA is a great one drink, home at night, refresh, get the one beer and you're done. Yeah, it, it's very good. Which is most of what I do. Well, and what I, the way I am is a good IPA is amazing and it's a good way to judge a brewery. Mm -hmm. So if you're mm -hmm. going somewhere, I order the IPA. Mm -hmm. If I'm just hanging out, chilling, I really don't have much of a preference. Yeah. Because I'll put it this way. Um, Art of Man has had an episode not too long ago. Well, I guess it was... Was it last summer? Have we mentioned that we're fans of Art of Manliness? Maybe we it's, have. It's maybe a little bit of a but, problem. Um, anyway, they had an episode about don't make a thing a thing. Mm -hmm. the, and, and kind of the, the, the concept of that is you're, you could become a total snob about something. Coffee, mm -hmm. whiskey, good food. And then you only enjoy the top 10% oh, yeah. of what there is, right? Uh -huh. But now... If you're only enjoying the top 10% of what there is, you either have to pay the money for that top 10% every time, right. or you're dissatisfied with the remaining 90%. So don't be snob. Exactly. Yeah. On the flip side, on the flip side, you need to know enough about it because otherwise that bottom 10% just... It's water. Exactly. It becomes, yeah. it becomes kind of pointless. And if you're only ever enjoying the bottom 10%, you never allow yourself... To learn the differences, to learn the experience of the better 90%. Yeah. So so kind of the whole idea behind don't make a thing a thing is don't make you know your whiskey choices such a thing that you only enjoy the best. Don't make an idol out of it. Exactly. That's actually a right way to put it up. But do know when you're having a good glass so you can truly appreciate it. You want the skill to appreciate something like that, but not necessarily be a snob, so you only appreciate that. Exactly. And that's that's where I am with whiskeys, beers. I imagine someday, if I ever have a budget, I'll be there with wines. Right yeah. now, wine is basically, you know, if I'm out for dinner or if I'm, if we've had something that just fits, like Italian food, just goes, fine, yeah. period. My, one of the best lessons I ever learned is I, uh, I went to a school event one time. I was supposed to be doing a, um, I was supposed to go to this event and I was supposed to, I'm working for the school and I'm supposed to like look for people who are good sponsor connections kind of thing. And it was my first time going to an event like this and I go and I sit down next to a group of people who look interesting and I sit down next to them. Turns out the people who I'm sitting next to um, are the 
uh, like the chief officers at a cigar company. Oh, interesting. What company? Do you uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it was like a distributor somewhere oh, in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and I was personally fascinated because I was like, oh, I love cigars. I, I would love to learn more about this. But I thought I totally blew it in terms of like school sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want them sponsoring your school. <laughs> The yeah, uh, high school football game sponsored by, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, said in one. <laughs> but but I asked them. I was like, so what do I need to know about smoking a cigar on a pipe? Like, what do I need to look for? Like, what makes a good cigar? And they said it's what you like. And I thought that was really interesting because I was totally. like, I'm always like, oh, you have to, you know, whatever it is, you have to be the best at it. You have to, you have to get the best of that thing. And they were just like, no, just whatever it is that you like. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, I have one friend that has always said, you know, the best drink. Is the one you have in your hand. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I do think if you're only if you don't allow yourself to appreciate some of the finer things, some of the better ones, right? You never get you never understand those. Differences. It's the skill. It's the skill. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to a different question. Uh, uh, but let's apply that same principle. Okay. Okay. Same principle. And let's go with uh, what do you think are three movies every man should watch? Three movies. Only three. Three movies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you out. The Lord of the Rings series counts as one movie. Yeah, I would say Lord of the Rings are up there. My problem is, like, for what purpose? Okay, so that's a good that's a good point. Here's what I want to say. I think there are... I want to, I want to go ahead and qualify, because there's some gimmies. Well, because the thing is, there's movies that were, like... There's, there's, there's movies I personally love. But that's more what I'm interested in. Like, so, for example... Yeah. I think every man should watch The Godfather. I I've think, seen that. Okay, so we need to do that. I think that there are like a couple of movies that every, it's just it's generally accepted every man should watch them, right? But what I'm interested in are what are the JJ films? Maybe what's a better question is what are the three, this is a little less like opinion based, like we can't really debate this, but what are the three movies that maybe shaped you most as a man? Hmm. I want you to answer that first because I'm going to think about this for a minute. Okay. Uh, three movies. Well, the movie that has shaped me most as a man is Henry V. Kenneth Branagh. Not, uh, I'm not going to. I've not seen that all the way through. So I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's the movie that made me want to be an English major, which you give me no end of grief about, but I didn't even die on that hill anyway. <laughs> um, and if you, if you haven't seen it, it's great. It's based on the William Shakespeare play. Um, it's got the famous uh, St. Christmas Day speech, which has the line, be few, be happy for you, be band of brothers. Yes. Um, which was the inspiration for the Love book in the show, right? Book in the show, right? About the about Easy Company. Um, and the thing that I love about that movie is there's the scene where Henry V, he's, he's leading his British soldiers against the French, and they're outnumbered, and they're outmanned. And they, uh, they're going to win the battle, but he doesn't know that. He gives this great speech about um, the reason that we're going to do this, you know, one of his one of his generals is like, you know, I wish we had all the men of England here, you know, to fight this war. And uh, Henry V comes out and says, uh, "What's he that wishes so? My cousin, my cousin Westmoreland, no fair cuz. If and he says, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. But if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of." And the idea is, you know, we're going to go out and, and if we're going to die, we're going to die, you know? And if it's, if we're going to die, it's better that there's less of us. But if we are predestined to win, 
then it's better that there's fewer of us because the greater glory to us and the greater glory to God. And he gives this great speech. And by the end of the speech, um, Westmoreland says, the cousin who was like, you know, I don't think we can do it. It's basically like, I I would that you and I alone without more help could fight this royal battle. Um, and, And I remember watching that as a kid. And that was the moment that I realized words can change people's minds. And words can change people's hearts. And words can make you do things that you never believed possible. And all of the idealism that you ragged me for, I think, and all of the, like, it's, it's from that moment. It's from that movie. And I think the world would be a better place if, you, if we all watched that movie. Now, I have a deeply cynical side as well. And that's my number two pick, Heat, uh, which yeah. is a great movie. It's on Netflix right now. You should watch it. Um, but Heat is a movie about, it's got... Uh, Brad Pitt, not Brad Pitt, sorry, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Okay, okay. two of my favorite yeah. actors, two of the greatest of all time. And it's the it's the first movie that they're in together. They've never been in uh, like at the same frame of a movie together. This oh, movie has that. Yeah, two heavyweights going at it. And there's this great scene. Robert De Niro is playing this this uh, this robber, this like high high end thief, right? And Al Pacino is playing this cop. And they're both at the top of their game as cop and robber, as, you know, Al Pacino and Neil. Like I catch me can. Yeah, kind of like that. And there's this great scene where Al Pacino pulls over Robert De Niro. He doesn't have enough to charge him with anything. But he pulls him over and he says, how about I buy you a cup of coffee? And Robert De Niro's like, yeah, sure. And so the two of them go to this diner in the middle of the night and they have this conversation. And they basically realize that they're they're more similar than different. Like Al Pacino has this line that he speaks to his wife, and he says, "All I am is what I'm going after." Uh, and and Robert De Niro has this rule. He says, "He says, uh, never get so attached to something that you will not walk out on it in 30 seconds or less if you feel the heat around the corner." And I remember hearing that line for the first time and I moved around a lot as a kid and I was kind of always like on the go and I got used to like not really having attachments to things. And I remember hearing that rule of 30 seconds or less and I was like, that's it. Like I, there's something about that that I resonate with, that I love, that I think is men. There's something about that. Well, there's a self, there's a do-it-yourselfism there. Right. Very American. Very um, self-reliance. Like if you can leave everything in 30 seconds or less, I'm probably you're taking only the clothes that you Right. And there's another line that um, uh, Al Pacino says. Yeah. So Al Pacino says to him, he says, so you never wanted a regular type life. And De Niro goes, the heck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Uh, and the idea is like, you know, there's, there's regular life and then there's something above that. You know, there's like the ordinary way or there's something extraordinary, you know. And in order to go for the extraordinary, you have to give up. This this regular type of life, and I always love that. So that's my number two. By the way, the the other thing I love about that movie is when I met my wife. That was the thing that I was like, this breaks the thirty second. This is the thing that I'm not willing to walk out on, right? Um, and I think there is that dynamic to it. Like I think men have this kind of a thing where they need that self reliance, but they also need to have these things they love that breaks that rule. This thing that you're not willing to walk out on, sure not. So number two. It makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, number three is a, is a tough pick for me. There's a lot of movies that I would put in here, but I'm going to go with The Untouchables. Uh, I haven't seen that. Oh, man. 
So uh, I'm over three on JJ. Um, but The Untouchables is a movie about the guys who got Al Capone. It's another Robert De Niro movie. It's got Kevin Costner um, and Sean Connery. Um, it's a great movie. It's got like some of the best one-liners of like any movie. No. Um, and it tells the story, yeah, the, of the guys who tracked down Al Capone, who like faced him down and got him. And the thing that I get out of that movie is uh, Sean Connery plays this cop uh, and, and he keeps pushing Kevin Costner to like to chase this guy down to, to get Al Capone. And what he says is, um, he says, and then what are you prepared to do? You see what I'm saying, Mr. Ness? And he leans over and says, if he brings a knife, you bring a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of the way that he keeps like pushing and pushing. It's like there's there's things that everybody is like, yeah, we've done all we can. But the truth is you haven't yet. Like mm-hmm. you really haven't. And the, the other line that he says is never stop fighting until the fight is done. Uh, and and it's not over. You know, it's that idea that it's not over until it's over. And what I used to do, JJ, in cross-country meets, I would take a little index card and I would write out, and then what are you prepared to do? In, mm-hmm. on one shoe and I would put it in one shoe and the other shoe I would write out uh, never stop fighting until the fight is done and I would put it in the other shoe and so a lot of races I would run with that wow I didn't know that yeah you're, you're very dedicated to your uh, little remembrances to my little quotes it also seems like you had gangster movies I love gangster movies it's my it's probably my favorite genre I love that I've, I've enjoyed gangster movies um, I haven't seen as many of them Try to think what my three movies are now. Um, I made a list a while back of movies that I really appreciated. Do would you say that movies have shaped you as a person? I don't think as much as you. I, I think I think the movies I've more thoroughly appreciated and enjoyed less shape me and more uh, allow me to realize that something I think about the world is right. Okay, can you explain that a little bit more? Um, like they allow, they allow me to see that this thing that I wanted to be true about the human race is actually true. So they're more of a reinforcement technique than like a discovery. I think so. I think because for one thing, um, I know we're both oldest children, but at least in my family, I did not see very many movies until like late high school, where I was like, "Me neither." Really? Mm-hmm. You got early income that pretty fast. Yeah. Well, I would. So I had this thing with a friend of mine from high school, from grade school. We would meet after church on Sundays, and he would tell me movies that he had watched, and I would tell him movies that I had watched, and we would do we would go through the plot. Uh, beat by beat, and we would remember, like, oh, this was this quote, and this moment was really great. And that was part of how I like learned movies. It was sure. like this, like, beat by beat thing. And then my dad was constantly, he grew up in the 80s, he grew up with like some of these really great movies, and he would kind of always like quote them around the house. You know, he would say these lines from like Dirty Harry or Fletch or whatever. Yeah. Or The Godfather. And then I would be like, what is that from? And he would go, oh, you know, it's from Dirty, you know, one day you're going to watch Dirty Harry. You're going to like that movie. 
And so I would watch him. Uh, and then it would be like a way that I could talk with my dad or with my uncle, you know. And yeah. so that became like a real, it's a way that my family communicates. That makes sense. I think, I think my family is less that way. You know, our family classics are kind of cool classics, things like Princess Bride. Yeah. Which uh, I obviously think is a great film. But in terms of like the That's films that every man should watch. Do you think every man should watch The Princess Bride? You know, I do. I don't know if it's my top three, but I do. I think I think it has a variety of reasons. I'm not necessarily sure sure entirely why I think that. True love. That's true what you love. get. It's you know, true love, romance, sword fighting. Well, I think giants. I think that movie shaped me in the way that I realized uh, it's okay to like the fantasies fantasy genre as a kid. Really? More than Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, I wasn't even I was let me I should back up here. I was introduced to The Hobbit pretty early on. My family mm. had an audiobook version that we listened to. We yeah. were always traveling. Yeah. Always listening to that. I was not introduced to Lord of the Rings until I was uh, 10 or 11. Oh, interesting. So, and then I didn't see the movie until I was 13. Yeah, I didn't see the movie until I was 13. I read the books when I was 8. And I had, the re- I had the books read aloud to me by my mother when I first was exposed to them. So it was a long, kind of slow work through it right in a great way she's a great she she can read aloud very very well yeah um but i think by the time i got to lord of the rings i was already i was prepared to appreciate them because i, I was allowing myself to enjoy them. the movies and the books and the books the book and that was because of movies like princess bride mm. you had been told this is an acceptable genre told not just acceptable but it's important Right. Um, and I was told that by more than just Princess Bride, uh, by, by other stories, things like King Arthur. We read those earlier. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Stuff that I realized this is foundational to do you think, type of genre. Do you think fantasy has, is there a genre that has shaped you more than any other? Would fantasy be like, is there, is there a genre that's made you who you are? Because I got to be honest, as terrible as it, is, as it is to say, I think the gangster film has has really made yeah, a lot I see of, that I see that That's of funny. who I am. I mean, to me, sitting here with you know the cigars and the pipes and the and the whiskey and the whatnot, to me this is like fulfilling a lot of my like you know back the gangster the gangster yeah, vibe. Yeah. You know, like we're gonna play poker. You know, and <laughs> I I always wanted to be from New York because people from New York have like this has such a sense of like place, mm-hmm. and I never had that growing up. Like we, you know, we've been talking about today just as we're hanging out about like. You know, like the north and the south, and and kind of the differences, differences there, yeah. there. And you know, one thing the south has, especially in southern literature, which I love, is you know, this place is sacred, and this land is sacred, and you know, this is where mm-hmm. I'm from, and where my family is from, where generations are from. You don't have that anymore. You know, um, interesting. It's much more of like an immigration feel, like oh yeah, we came from the old country, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's not that's not as much the case in the south for sure. I do think though. Or maybe that maybe that is why one of the things that's the Lord of the Rings, everybody has a sense of place in the world. Yeah, deeply. And there are certain characters that like you look at Aragorn, his sense of place is such a tragic past for his people. Mm-hmm. Part mm-hmm. of his fulfillment is coming back to that place. Yeah. Right? And then there are other characters where they have to leave the place they love to go save the place they love. Yeah. And I think that's something I very strongly identify with. And I don't, I don't know why that is, because I also grew up traveling a lot. 
my family lived in an RV for five years. Yeah. We traveled. We did not have a home yeah. in the normal sense for five years. And so, and I, I mean, I had a conversation with my mother at one point, like feeling like, man, I don't really have a place. I don't have friends. I don't right. have any of this. But I crave that so much. I think this is a place where you and I are really similar. Really? Because we, I think we both have this place. And it's funny because we're, you know, we're on this, we've made this show that's about like being a man. Yeah. You know, and forging honor and like having this sense of identity, not necessarily in our masculinity, so to speak, but we've, we've realized that we are men. And so we want to be the best at whatever that is. We want to be good at whatever that mm-hmm. is, right? And for me anyway, and I think this is where a lot of our friendship comes from, is not having that sense of belonging. And so trying to belong to whatever groups, you know, whatever it is that we can belong to, we want to belong to it as best we can. That's interesting. That's fair. Well, and, and how we're influenced by that, whether it's by our parents or by the people around, that really affects us. I don't know. Back to movies, though. Um, Always back to movies. Lord of the Rings, all three of them. But Return have, of the King Return is... Return of the King's your favorite? I want to clarify that. I think Fellowship of the Ring is the best adaption of the book to movie adaptions that said i think return of the king is a better film okay counterpoint the hobbit first 30 minutes is the best only i refuse to believe those movies (laughs) i saw them in theaters they were miserable yeah the first 30 minutes of the first hobbit i was i had so much hope i like the first 30 minutes i was like this is the i've been waiting for this straight up the book I mean, Martin Freeman as The Hobbit is, um, as Bilbo, Bilbo, yeah, yeah. so good. It's the best thing to come out of those movies. Everything else. Well, that, honestly, a lot of the actors were great. Yeah. Just, they, they was overdone. Too many extra people foisted in there. Uh, overdone action scenes, etc. Yeah. That, that being said, said um, Return of the King, looking at some of these other films I've written out over the years that I really like, um, trying to narrow this down, I really... Um, like the movie Eddie the Eagle. Oh, is this the, the guy who does the ski jump thing? Yeah. I, I don't film. think I've ever seen it. It's Hugh Jackman and uh, what's the guy's name? That name? I can't remember his name. Hugh Jackman's the guy that trains him, though. It's about, okay. yeah, ski jumping. That film is one of the few sports movies I like. Because you don't do, you know, sports it's is not really a sports thing. This, again, this one's not really even a sports film. Yeah. It's more about one man's dream to overcome the impossible. Okay, that's what sports movies are. That's what sports okay, are. Come fine, on. That's what fine, sports are. Fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's another discrepancy that, that I've discovered this week that I didn't really... I knew that you weren't like a sports person. I, well, I, I do like sports live. I like yeah. sports. I will watch any sport live. Mm-hmm. And I will watch sports on television if I'm with a group of people that love that sport. Right. Because then they can, they're, they're, they're eager to tell me what's going on. They're eager to explain the drama of it. And I can get into it because the crowd's into it. You can cheer for whoever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever's going on. And in, in a live game, it's similar. You can get into it, right? Yeah. But also you get to see it in full before you. Yeah. Um, so that said, I thoroughly, I love going to baseball games. Oh, it's so good. Love it. So great. Watching it on TV, I don't really care at all. It doesn't translate the same. Not at all. Uh, I think football translates a little bit better. Uh-huh. Um, but I still like a live football game better than on TV. I've never been to a live college game, and it's something yeah. I really want to have had before before I die. You should definitely get that opportunity at some point. Um, baseball is 
I don't know. There's something in my heart for baseball. I love. Baseball. I played baseball at one point. Yeah, me too. Um, it's a great baseball. Great, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. that's part of it. It's just a, it's the American. Sport. Well, here's the thing about baseball, which is probably appealing, is baseball is a sport that is is the stakes are always clear, right? Fair. Yeah. Every situation in baseball is a reset, right? Whether it's like it's as soon as you lay out the scenario of where you are in a baseball game, mm-hmm. it's it's no strikes, runner on first, bottom of the third inning. Right. Immediately, you know what's going on. Right. It's true. It translates well to radio for that reason. Yeah. I actually really enjoy listening to it on the radio. I love. We use that's a that's a much better medium than television for some reason. Yeah. I think it's probably just what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyone can hear exactly what you just said and know exactly what's going and on. And honestly, you're more engaged on over the radio because you have to imagine the whole scene, right? Well, and, and on, on television, you see it, you get the whole thing, but you're also not there with the other fans. So there's kind of, you get the half version. On radio, right. the announcer can add so much to it. A good announcer good makes answer. all my work. There's, I, if there's one job that I've ever wanted, it's to be a, a baseball a, announcer. A baseball announcer or a football announcer. Oh, like, yeah, totally. When I was a well, kid. Well, football announcing, I think, would be, I don't know. I don't want to get it. I wanted to be the color commentary, or not color commentary, but um, play, by, play by play. Because I, what I would do when I was a kid, I would watch Florida Gator games. Yeah. And I would sometimes I would mute the TV and I'd be and like, yeah, yeah I'd be of like, course you did. I go, Tim Tebow is uh, behind the line. Here he comes out. It's a single back set. He's going to snap the ball to the, you know, I would do the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and, was, and I was like, this is, it's so much fun because it's telling a story and you're drawing the audience in. Maybe that's part of it is with, uh, with radio, there's more of that. I actually, you're going to laugh at me. Um, once what I love listening to on radio specifically is NASCAR. <laughs> NASCAR announcers are a ton and of fun. And he's going around the turn. Uh, and he's going around the turn. That's not and how it works. And he's going around the turn. That's not <laughs> no, 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 no. They, you, you, they're able to, in in between kind of the action when yeah. the major things are happening, they can throw in stuff about the drivers, what's going on, the drama of previous races, mm-hmm. and how there's kind of, uh, how they're maybe competition. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when something happens, now that announcer gets so into it. Right. Something happens, a crash. Or, oh my gosh, he's someone, going into the barrier. to fly past three cars all, you know, it's like yeah. this insane thing that never happened, you know, something happens. Right, right, right. Tons of fun on radio. Less right. entertaining to watch on television. Okay, so hold on, hold on. You've only given me two movies. Okay, okay. Eddie Ooh. the Eagle, sorry. Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle, Come. I'll tell you, one of the, I did not watch that one until I was in college. Mm-hmm. That movie is one of the few movies that just, I don't know, it, it kind of, captured the human spirit for me in a way other movies had not yeah there's this scene towards the end um kind of spoiler alert for everyone scene towards the end because this guy eddie does he win the championship he's, he's no he's actually the worst ever um like ski jumper like he's one of the worst really? ski jumpers ever because britain had not had a ski jumping team because they don't they weren't participating in that so this was mountains. the whole goal of this particular individual was to play in the olympics yeah so he was like, what sport can I qualify in? Right. If Britain doesn't have a team, no one else is attempting to qualify. Right. Therefore, I can make I, it. I can make it because I'll be the only one trying. So he falls in I love with it. I use that same philosophy, by the way, in running the two mile oh, that's high school track. <laughs> so that's his purpose. Yeah. So he gains national notoriety doing that. And he ends up against another ski jumper who mm-hmm. is at the top of what he does. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah. They're riding up in the elevator together mm-hmm. before their jump. They're going to jump back to back. Yeah. And they, and they have this talk. And the guy, who's he's the best in mm-hmm. the world at the time, he says, the two of us are the only two that truly love this sport, that mm-hmm. truly know the stakes. Yeah. Because you and I, we're only here to do our best. 
Everyone else is here to be the best ski jumper. We're here to do our best. And if we don't yeah. beat ourselves, we ourselves know we've lost. doesn't matter how well we perform yeah. today mm. as long as we beat ourselves. Yeah. And as a runner, that's a huge part of it. A huge part of running. Yeah. And that just gave me shivers. Yeah. Because that's the whole sport. That's the whole sport. It doesn't yeah. matter how you perform against anyone else yeah. if you beat yourself. If you do better than you ever thought you could. Yeah. You go out there, you give it your all. It doesn't matter if everyone on the field, if you're the worst runner, you're the worst ski jumper, whoever. Yeah. It doesn't matter if everyone on the field does better than you. If you beat what you thought you could do, you've succeeded. Yeah. And I love that movie for that. Because running movies haven't captured that, I feel like. I have not seen a running movie. McFarland. Think about McFarland. Okay, McFarland's good. Remember when Danny Diaz comes yeah, around okay. the corner? When Danny <laughs> Diaz comes <laughs> around that corner. Danny Diaz. That's the moment where you're like, come on, Danny. Like, you mm. know he's not winning the race. And that's what I love that's about fair. it. Because you fair. know he's not winning the race. You right. know he's never going to win that race. But you know that he did what he needed to to succeed exactly. and for the team to succeed. And that's, what, that's why cross country is a great sport. Exactly. You know? It's why I love sports where the odds really are against yourself. Yeah, I, I because, which by the way, I think baseball is that way too. It can be, and yeah. I, well, I think I think it translates to life well in a way where ultimately you should not compare yourself to the person who's doing insanely well and whatever they're doing, right. or the person who's doing terribly. Right? You right. can't say, "Well, I'm fine because I'm better than them," or you should say, "I'm terrible because I'm worse." You, than you no. can't do comparison. How are you compared to the man you were yesterday? There's a great line um, in in the book "Running and Being," mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites. I think I probably talked we about worked, it. We worked. We did an episode on that. That's right. There's a great line in that book where uh, where he says, a poet and an athlete are never satisfied with yesterday. Yeah. And that's one of my, fa- I, I carry that with me for so long because mm. it's so, it's it's very much who, who I want to be. Yes. You know, like there's never a part of me that is, is like, well, okay, I'm done. You know, yeah. it's, it's always a feeling of like, am I doing enough? And, and I can't succeed in life. Mm. You know, I, I think about what Christ says about be be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I can't do that. You can't do that. Right. But I'm I'm still called to it. You know, we had a conversation the other night about like what what do you you know what do you want out of life, right? You know, and I told you, you know, some, something for me is like I I feel like I need to do something where I'm contributing and where I'm mm. not. Um, yeah, not not um, forgotten, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that in a way it's like, well, I want everyone to know who I am, you know, because that's not really the point. But it's like, there's a there's a line in, um, you know, the samurai have this code book called the Hagakure, mm-hmm. and there's a line in there that says, um, the great men were men as you are, you know, right. what, what separates them from you. And uh, there's there's no difference between you and these men. They are men as you are. And I think about that a lot. Because it's like, all right. So it's very Marcus Aurelius. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is going to be my follow-up to the movie question. Is, I saw it in the third movie. Oh, yeah. What's your third movie? Toss-up. Between No Country for Old Men. Oh, man. And uh, probably maybe Cinderella Man. Mm. You got me beat there. I've never seen that one. Really? Mm-hmm. What is Cinderella Man about? Cinderella Man. Uh, been a long time since I've seen it. Um, it's about a boxer. Great Depression. It's uh, Russell Crowe, actually. Um, great film. But my main takeaway from that uh, at the time was as a man uh, kind of sticking through, sticking through it, no matter no matter the odds. Yeah. For those around you. Yeah. Now Cinderella Man, kind of his story is he 
right? He ends up succeeding not only against the odds, but beating what anyone thought he could, right? Yeah. Doing more than, than he, even he thought he could in a way. So there's a beauty there, and that's similar to Eddie the Eagle. Um, this is the fun part, by the way. I'm just going to say this now. We don't get to do this much when we're in on the audio. It's true. But because we're in person, I feel the ability to interrupt a little bit more and to also go more into like therapy session mode. <laughs> do you feel the expectations of other people around you? Yes. Very much? Yes. Yeah. Have you always felt that way? Yes. Me too. Do you, can you remember? The clarification there though. Depends on the person. Mm -hmm. I think I interact, like there are certain people I interact with where I'm definitely like, I want to, uh, like the expectations of this person are laid on me. There are other people where I lay expectations on them, I think. Where you want, where you expect them to be somebody or something. And so you have to live up to their mark. I I don't know actually how to answer that. I, I I don't really know how to get into that. But you, but you do feel the expectations of other people on you. Can you remember yeah, a moment where you're like, where you felt that, where you were, where like, where you became aware of that and conscious of conscious of that? Oh yeah, uh, early on. I mean, there were a couple instances. My parents would have been around ten, maybe. Yeah. Ten or eleven. Yeah. They sat me down and they talked through what would happen if both of them died in the same moment. Really? Yeah. They t they talked you through that. Well, because what was going to happen was I think we were being left with the babysitter or something, okay. but they were, they had I think my dad had a there was a, a reason that both of them were going out together for a longer drive. Mm -hmm. He had a job interview in a different city or something. Okay. So they were going to be gone all day. Yeah. Long drive. Right. Multiple highways. Right. And so we're left with babysitter whatever, that's fine. But they sat me down and they said, look, if the unfortunate happens, you're the oldest. <laughs> you got to take care of your siblings. <laughs> and like it hit me. Boom. Like, like I oh, could man. be responsible for all of yeah. this. Yeah. But even before that, mm -hmm. and I think the only reason they may have felt at liberty to even have that conversation you felt and that. note that here's the will who's going to take care of you. you they, wait, they give you the will? Oh, yeah. They oh told me where gosh. the will was. They told me who to call if something were to happen. Like, they told me which of my relatives would have our legal responsibility over us. What? But which, like, the responsibilities I would have in the meantime until they could come take care of us. Yeah. Um, and at the time, we lived, I mean, we were off-grid. Like, like, are you in the RV this morning? No, no, no. This was, uh, we had the RV still, but we were living off-grid in a, in a, cabin that we were house sitting yeah, yeah, yeah. taking care of. Right. So our source of power was a generator and a solar panel. <laughs> so before that even, my dad would go on overnight trips and he would tell me, Jonathan, here's how you take care of the generator. If right. this fails, you know, here's here's the fix for it. Yeah. Um yeah. here's how you take care of the solar panels and right. et cetera, et cetera. Um here's how you handle a firearm if this happens, you know, things like that. Right. Like you know, I'm a, I'm a ten year old who's like, all right, here's what we do. So you get like the full frontier treatment. <laughs> yeah, like age 10. I mean, I was told chop wood all winter because that was a source right. of heat. Right. With wood stove in the basement. Yeah. Um I still have burns to mark from where I failed to load the wood properly and that right. thing. So you know do you well, I won't ask you. Keep going. Um but even before that, and I think the only reason my parents ever felt comfortable with putting some of that responsibility on me mm -hmm. um was at a very early age i was helping my father and his in his 
day to day with his business. Now, I mean, again, I was, you know, maybe seven at that time, yeah, seven or eight, helping him handle uh, inventory. He was a musician, helping him in inventory of CDs, helping him sell those things. And a lot of that was just be a cute kid, stand there and convince right. people to buy these things. Being a cute kid, it's not hard right. to do that. But my point is, it's your social skills. There is, there was an expectation of Jonathan, you have the responsibility over this. You need to tell me at the end of the night, how many of these were sold? So Therefore, how much money is coming in? Yeah. Your payment is based off this. So you need to calculate that. You're getting paid. Oh yeah. How old are you? I was seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, child labor laws were not broken because of the family business. Actually, there was laws. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, the point being, I was very cognizant of, all right, here's my commission. Therefore, I need to sell this many if I want to make this much money so I can buy this right. Lego set. Right. Well, it's right. Like, like, it always comes down to Lego, Lego set. set. Yeah, Lego right. set. Um, I had the same thought process. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so there was some responsibility there. There was also, I mean, I have five younger siblings. And right. my parents put it very early on. Like, it's impossible. If you're two parents traveling around a lot, it's very difficult to keep up with all the siblings. So we had a buddy system in place. Mm-hmm. My younger brother was my buddy. Meaning, if I didn't know where my younger brother was, I was in hot water. Right. Right. So you got to know the brother. Always knew where he was. Always knew what's going on. Yep. Always Right. That's a big deal. Yeah. My sister, her younger sister, her buddy. Right. Yep. We had a buddy system down the line. Right. Um, that was important. So, so by the time I'm 10 or 11, my parents, for whatever reason, and we talk about this later, like, yeah, we don't really know what we're thinking. <laughs> well, you're the oldest. When you're the oldest, I, it's that, true. Yeah, you're yeah. the guinea pig. You know, it's fair. All of your, all of your parents' mistakes happen to the oldest. It's true. And by the time you get to the youngest, they're like, eh. See, I don't really think there were mistakes though, because I think they they shaped me for the better. Sure, but the responsibility of but there's things that they would do as to the oldest that they wouldn't do to the youngest. Sure, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But and and giving me responsibilities when my dad is on a week long trip for right. a music conference or whatever, um, I have to be the one to get up, crack a dawn, to make sure the wood stove is still going, right? To get the fire started if it went out in the night, yeah. Get things going, um, yeah. That stuff, right? Yeah. Um. At any rate, kind of the back to your original question about responsibility. If you want to rephrase, what was the exact question? I was I was asking about expectations. Do you feel yes. do you feel people's expectations? I think that early on set me up for the feeling of there are expectations, and if yeah. I don't meet these expectations, one we're gonna be, we'd be cold this morning. Right. There's or there's a we're not direct. going to have electricity because I forgot to go get the generator running. Yeah. There's direct consequences to that. Yeah. Um. Or I'm not. I'm not going to have money for my Legos because I miscounted the money and I didn't take care of the payments properly. I didn't count the money properly. Right. Right. There's, there's, there's at least at that age, that's severe expectations in a way. Yeah. That's Um, a high bar. And then, and then going into high school and college, just kind of taking that on from anyone that I saw as senior to me, Mm -hmm. if they have expectations for me, I should listen to my elders. They have expectations for me. I need to finish this thing out. I got to do this right. Right. Um, and I can't, I can't fail. And, and that can be tough because I, I did technically fail classes in college. I failed uh-huh. out of uh, Calc 2. Yeah. That's tough because I felt like there were all these expectations surrounding that. Yeah. And that was tough to overcome a little bit. At the same time, I think that can be healthy in a way to motivate me mm-hmm. with the realization that w- even though there are expectations, these people still love you even when you fail. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the beauty of kind of some of these movies where, a lot, a lot of expectations ultimately can be personally placed on yourself. But mm-hmm. Can you still recognize that even when you fail, even when you mess up, the people around you still love you? See, I had a harder time with that because 
I remember through most of high school, you know, struggling with different sin issues and getting to this place where I'm thinking, you know, how, how can any, how can anybody love me? But most of all, how can God love me mm. if I'm struggling with these sins? You know, if I'm, if I'm going through these different things, mm-hmm. um, how can, how can a perfect God love an imperfect person? You know, we're getting into some uh, tougher. I know. Yeah. Tougher just, let me just gear shift into this, like, you know, nice deep conversation that we had. No, but, it, but it, I mean, it is a big, uh, uh, part of it. And I, I think it's important to talk about because if, you know, and here I can hear myself shifting into like podcast voice, but I'm going to go yeah, careful there, Benjo. <clears throat> Let me stick with my genuine real voice here. It's false. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's important. Every, every, every book or, or, um, a website or podcast or show YouTube, whatever that I've seen that's about men yeah, right, carries with it this expectation of this is what a man is. And if you're not this, you're not a man. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you, if you fail to meet this bar, mm-hmm. then you are, you're failing as a man. There are some conflicting expectations on a lot of those films though. Mm-hmm. Right. Because well, that's part of it is, is that's a, Like that's an aspect of I can't remember was it again a long time ago Cinderella Man is it Cinderella Man or is it a different boxing film Rocky where he has to decide whether or not to take the money from the mob and throw the fight oh no you know what that is what is it that's Pulp Fiction no what happens in Pulp Fiction it's a different there's another film where that happens as well yeah that's a common theme though I guess. yeah it's a, it's a it's a trope that's a, I can't remember I think Cinderella Man that happens or maybe it happens to his father early in the film matt murdoch daredevil you're right that is that is i remember first i haven't watched that i've only seen the first season of that show it's a good show i enjoyed it it was college when i watched it so i was kind of in a haze from studying through classes and everything yeah um trying to remember yeah that's a big deal is like does he take the money from the mob provide for his family and and that provides for his family or does he do the Does right thing the honor the like, honor what is the, the correct thing. honor and ultimately like if he if he doesn't listen to the mob like he's gonna be killed yeah right like that's and that's what happens you know is he at least in daredevil i daredevil. can't remember what happens in cinderella man i again long time since i watched it i just remember it having an impact on me at the time yeah and i think i think you know he spoiler for heat dang it banjo you know what i, I haven't can't watched do it. it yet i can't do it but i'm, I'm not going to spoil it but i'm okay. I'll, all i'm going to say is that there's a moment where the character who has the 30 second rule has to consider whether or not he's going to break the rule because he's falling mm-hmm. in love with somebody well it's similar with like um uh, that's kind of a heartbreak in uh, catch me if you can right yeah right yep same idea because yeah he's on the run always anyway i can't remember did i already mention no country for old men yeah you did um anyway that one is interesting, I think, because early on in the movie, he has that option, right? Mm-hmm. Because if he if he had never decided to go back, right, he does the right. The man the drink of water. He gives the man a drink of water, and before that, I you know talking about expectations, Ed Tom Sheriff Ed Tom Bell at the beginning says, mm-hmm. you know, my father, my father never carried a gun. Most lawmen don't, you know. Well, that's a whole thing. Like that's a theme in Andy Griffith. Yeah. Have you seen me? I, mean, I grew up on Andy like Griffith. he's asked. Why don't you carry a gun? Yeah, I don't need one. 
because he, he's afraid if he carried the gun, folks would stop respecting him for who he is as a man. Right. And start fearing him for the fact that he is a weapon. Yeah. And that's that's a more serious moment in the Andy Griffith show where, yeah, I think he's totally right in that. And, like, on, on the one hand, I'm conflicted because, I don't know, I, I, I do feel like it is prudence sake to have the ability to use lethal force if necessary. Mm-hmm. But I understand that. Like, do my friends respect me because they know there's the possibility of my potential carrying? Or do they respect me for who I am? And I'm more, I think I'm more the Andy. I grew up with Andy Griffith mm. as kind of my folk, you know, one of those folk heroes that you look at. And I'm more of a Barney Fife than I am an Andy Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the Barney to my end. Yeah, that's right. They don't let me have more than one bullet. That's my favorite, like, running gag in Andy Griffith. Yeah, he gets one bullet. It's he like gets green one bullet from, like, sitting like, for so long. And every time, they, shot it. Every time <laughs> that they get into trouble... He's Andy's like digging in his pocket. He like for goes it. over to Andy's like, "Can I have my bullet?" Well, <laughs> <laughs> and, and anytime he actually gets the bullet and loads it, he ends up accidentally he he has he like shoots his discharge. Foot, yeah, yeah, he almost shoots himself in the foot. Multiple so times. good. Oh, it's such a great show. Love that show. Oh my word. But and there's that idea, like you know, like other firearm safety from Barney Five. <laughs> that's that's a good way to learn it. Well, I don't know about a good way to learn it. Just a good hazard or, or a good a warning. Good um, but yeah, you know, I. I the point of getting into that is I think we have, like, if we're going to do the show, we've been doing it for what, eight, 18, 17 and one bonus episode now. Yeah. And to me, what a question that's always been there is um, how, how much are we kind of like we talked about last time, how much are we playing into affectation oh. and, and how much are we really pursuing godliness? One thing, one thing I just thought of, going back to Lord of the Rings. Case in point, by the way, we are smoking cigars and drinking liquor, which I think is like our affectation. Like our, it's our, it's a thing we love. I mean, I do thoroughly enjoy it. But it's also kind of the thing that's like, do we love it because we're men or do we love it because this is what we think? One thing I thought of actually on that is um, if we loved it because we were men, then it would become something that we might try to hide from our wives or might not appreciate if our wives appreciate it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But we kind of want that. It's always kind of fun when they do it too. Exactly. Yeah. Like I appreciate when my wife sits down and appreciates that I'm having a cigar. Maybe mm-hmm. she has a small one too. Something like that. I appreciate yeah. that. And I think that means it's leaving a little less from affectation and more towards enjoyment. Okay. Just that's an aside, but back to, back to what we're saying about kind of the, some of those affectations, some of those things, you know, something Faramir says is, you know, he does not love the sword for its sharpness. Or the arrow for its swiftness. He loves that which they defend. Mm, and yeah. I think yeah. I think that's important when it comes to say questions of the strength of manliness. Right. The questions of should you carry a firearm? Should you know how to use a weapon? Should you know? Should you should you take martial arts training? Should you do any of that stuff? Right. In a perfect world, you shouldn't have to. Right. We don't live in a perfect world right. right now. We live in a flawed world. Yet, so you should be able to use those tools at your disposal, but you should not walk around desiring to be like, all right, now I'm going to use this thing. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna default to using that, right? That's, right. A, that's a last resort. Right. Right. And if it's about the things that which they defend, I've told you this before, 
I have a hard time. I had a hard time, especially when I was a single male, making any argument as a single male for why should I carry? Right. As a single male, if I'm caught in a hard spot, if it's between me losing a life, a saved born again Christian, mm-hmm. and someone else losing a life who I don't know what their status is, I, I don't know how you make that that judgment. Yeah. Versus if they're threatening my wife and child, I'm and a lot more exactly. I am willing to use that. I'm willing to use the weapon which defends the thing I love. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I think it's a, a strange thing about... I think that's something that sets a lot of Christians apart from kind of your classic 2A, which I'm all for, Second Amendment stuff, etc. But some of the 2A people go so far like, yeah, my, everything's more worth it. Like, they're taking whatever. The gun is the point. Right. Yeah. But I think I think ultimately, you know, the Second Amendment's about the ability to defend defend the defenseless. Yeah. Against tyranny. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think I kind of come down on that. So so uh, to to widen to widen the lens a little bit. I, I, let me just say, I hope people are still listening at that at this. point. This is a bonus episode. If this you're is not a bonus interested, episode. Whatever. This is not your. This is more for us than it is for you. Hundred percent for us. <laughs> We're having a fun time. This show is. We for, get to be a person. It's a good time. Uh yeah. So if you're bored stiff, apologies. If you're also all the various noises of cigars and yeah, it, whiskey glasses. Yeah, it's a bonus episode. We're gonna get to your regular scheduling programmed episode next week. Next week and yeah, say la vie. Uh, but but maybe what's what's the point? If I can get cynical for a minute, what's the point of a podcast like Forging Honor? If if so much of masculinity is affectation. I don't know if it is all affectation. Well, right. But, this is my but, cynical but side. I, I, I do want to ask, address the question of what's the point. I've asked that myself. Because there's the part of me that says, whatever I do, right? You go back to Sermon on the Mountain. Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, you know, you when you pray, pray in secret. secret. Go right. in the room, shut the door. Yep. Fast. Fast and secret. Correct. We podcasted about it, but man. Yeah. The point, <laughs> the point being these things that are truly valuable that grow you. Yeah. Are not necessarily to be advertised. Right. That said, if you're, they're, they're clearly talked about in scripture as being something that people should be doing. Right. And if we did it so wholly in secret that no one ever knew that even happened, we wouldn't pass them on to the next generation. Yeah. Therefore, they need to be talked about. We have to, we have to teach some of these things. Correct. Or learn these things. Learn these things. And that's what this podcast is, is our process of learning these things. Right. And we share it with other young men learning these things. Right. We're not targeting the, the, the 60 or 50-year-old who has a lot of this kind of figured out. They're yeah. working on it. They're teach, they are teaching us. They're right. teaching the next generation. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of my time around those men, right. learning from them about this stuff. Yep. They influence the challenges mm-hmm. that we partake in. And I also, my target hard. audience is not the 15 or 16 year old young man mm-hmm. who at this point has a solid five years till he gets married at least has a decent amount of time till he's gone through college. If he goes to college at all, or, or maybe trade school, whatever it is, 
he's got a lot of, a lot of other learning to do right now. He's not right. concerned with the same things we're concerned with. We are interested in a community of men who are learning these things, growing in these things together and trying to address the problems that we as men in our current stage of life, life face. Yeah. Um, I think that is worth, that is worth sharing insofar as it helps anyone else. If it ever, if it fails to help other people, then this is all for naught. It becomes, it becomes an exercise in, in self-aggrandizement. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and this is an yeah. interesting level with getting back to the expectations thing. It's such a fine line that I, I think I constantly fail at is the difference between, you know, wanting to meet expectations or what, you know, wanting to be, wanting to be who I think I should be. Mm-hmm. And, puffing myself up it's you hard know? i mean at, at our age i think that's a that's especially difficult actually yeah i mean it's, it's the pride of the young man right yeah a proverb talks about that gee i wonder if that's a thing that we should read almost that'd be a good challenge read all the proverbs in a week two weeks well or or we guess. do a longer challenge i mean one thing i do is i read uh, a chapter of proverbs every day i've done that for years now mm-hmm. I'm not consistent with it every, every single day by no means. Don't ever hear me say I do this thing and think I'm actually consistent with it. When I say I do this thing, what I mean is I attempt to do this thing. I think my current, actually, I keep, I keep track of it. My current streak right now, I use this app called, called streaks. My current streak right now is five days that I've actually stuck with that. My longest, my best is 25 days in a row doing that. Yeah. So, hear that and say, that's something I try to do. Right. And that's what this is. We're trying to do these things. We're trying to learn from these things. We're doing our best. It's why we track how many days of the 10, each challenge that we do it. Yeah. That's why we talk about what was hard about it. You know, why is this something we may have struggled with? Why yeah. is it something that we may have found easier? Which I'm, I'm looking forward next week when we talk about conversations, mm-hmm. because I, I, I pride myself a little bit on being able to have a good conversation with people. And there's things that I found about having conversations with people that it's actually been really difficult. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that part of it. Uh, but that's for next week and not this week. Darn. Um, that was all for movies. You have any more questions on there? Uh, yeah, it was all for, well, I did want to hear if you had three books every man should read. Three books. That, Bible. The book with the Bible. <laughs> there, you mean aside from the Bible? Aside from the Bible. Munch on that for a second. Okay. I'm going to hit you with a couple of fast ones. Um, office versus Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rec. I'm going to Office. Uh, Parks and Rec was good. I think The Office is better. See, I think Parks and Rec overall has better character development. It also has characters I like more. Um, I think... Interesting. The Office is a fun show. And also, I watched Parks and Rec first. That could be part of it. That's probably part of it. Um, I think Parks and Rec is doing what Office did, but I think the Office did first, and I think the writing and the characters are more complex and more interesting. See, I don't think that's the case. I think I think the weakness of the Office. I, I will say the early first couple of seasons of the Office, mm-hmm. I might be willing to admit are better than Parks and Rec. Okay. The problem is, especially after Michael Scott leaves the show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the office as a whole just takes such a hit to the average. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's true. Versus Parks and Rec only grows with every season. Until that last season, 
Even the last season, though, is a quality television. All right, I'll concede. And and you see, the problem is by the end of the office, there I didn't like any of the characters at the end of the office. I yeah. was mad at all of them, every single one of them. Yeah. Versus Parks and Rec, I had grown to love all of them. I was sad when the show ended, and I was very happy with all of the endings. I wasn't thrilled with some of the storylines of the characters. There's one homosexual character, and as a man with my morals, that's something I just don't agree with. And Parks and Rec does have some more flagrant humor on the sexuality side, which I'm not a fan of. Sure. Um, I'm just going to say it now. Seinfeld is far superior to both. Of them. I haven't watched so, much. I've seen two episodes. Of Seinfeld, yeah, so I can't. I'm just gonna. I'm planting. I'm planting my flag. My sitcom flag is on Seinfeld, and I'm gonna die on that. Well, well I, I'll go around Seinfeld someday. Yeah. Next one. Uh, lightning round. Best token work. Ooh. Uh, published pre or posthumously? Posthumously. I'll, I'll allow. You'll it. allow it. Yeah. Okay. Because my my pick is posthumous. Yours is Children of Heaven. I come on, spoilers. Yes, it's children. If you see, that might be mine too. Yeah, um, it's very different. I don't know if it actually is. <clears throat> I, okay, I want. Can I get two? I want, sure, I want one two. that's Middle Earth. Okay, and one that's non Middle Earth. All right, I'll give it. In terms, oh, that's also tough though. So, because that's the thing is, just give me one. Come on, lightning <laughs> round, lightning so, round. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so, Lord of the Rings, of course, everyone loves. I love Lord of the Rings. It's truly one of my favorite works. Yeah, and it's. In my opinion, it is Tolkien's best, most well. Um, it's, I mean, it's the ones that that he got published, the ones that he really worked through, and the ones that truly exemplify Tolkien at his best. Yeah. Um, but Children of Hurin, on its own, is such a masterful piece. It's of so literature. Good. It's it's Greek. It's, it's oh yeah. yeah, it's it's glorious. It it has so much in there. That is, uh, I mean, I can't I can't sing its praises enough. Um, now it, it's it's obviously being cut from the larger work of the Silmarillion, which the Silmarillion as a whole is incredible. It is good, but it's kind of like reading the King James Bible. Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little I mean, I, I've read it a few times, and it's one of those things where I love it, but I can't look at it and say this is a perfectly full, complete work of Tolkien in the same way that Lord of the Rings or even Children of Hurin. So Children your, of Hurin is it was actually completed by his son, right? Well. So what's your second pick from? non-legendarium works. That's also tough, though. I really love Farmer Giles of Ham. Okay. Love that story. It's a great little fairy tale. So I'm going to go... I'm just, but also, Leaf by Niggle is just such an incredible little piece. It's good. I gotta the go problem, my problem with that one is it's a little too Catholic for me. Uh-huh. Um... And so then Rover and Dom is, is also just a great little story. So I'm just going to say, I love, I let it be clearly stated, much like the Bible, you just kind of have to say that like the Lord of the Rings is great. Right. And it is, and it's amazing. And Two Towers is my favorite of the three. Of the three books. Oh, that's books. interesting. Actually, well, it's technically six books. Well, yeah. Know, by the way, he wanted it published. Right. Um, and yes. So that would be book three. So book the first book of the two towers is some of the best writing. I like ever. I, everything that happens in Rohan. I'm that's where I want to live. I, I, I can't. I, I could not. Im, it Rohan would be so tough for me Go. to Rohan or Gondor. Yeah, come on. Do you want to be in Rohan? You want to be one of oh, so writers of Rohan? Or my wilder Rohan? days, I feel Rohan, but but then I feel like Gondor is how mankind was meant to be. I'm living with Rohan. I'm sticking with it. 
I just don't, I'm going to go well, live the thing out there is, with David. Oh, we can't get into this right now. We don't have the time. We don't have the time. Oh, my word. Okay. The, the, different episode. Okay. We, okay. we seriously need to we have need an to episode. We need to do some Tolkien Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to skip over that. My second pick is Hobbit. I love, Hobbit's great. I love, I the, love Hobbit. the Hobbit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's the thing. I want everyone to know there is no work of Tolkien I dislike. Right. There are some that are just a little bit more, I don't know. Yeah. Got something to him. Uh, one more lightning round and then we'll get back to the to the last question. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Yeah, no. It's like a long summer storm. Um, favorite Christopher Nolan movie? Of course you asked this one. Um, we, we've had a big... We've been going back and forth. Offline discussion um, about Christopher Nolan. So I'm, I'm putting him on the I love somewhere. Memento. I've only seen it once, but I loved it. Um, the Prestige is so good too. Though. So I, I don't fun. know. I think I actually like Memento better than Prestige. Yeah. I think Prestige is a little uh, is a little more... Um, what's the word? It's like it's proud of itself in a way. Like it's it's, it's got yeah. Something. It's, it knows know. it's it's in it knows it's a good movie, right? And yeah. Memento, it just feels a little more raw. It's got a little more to it. It's just like, it's yeah. like his first one, basically. Yeah, I like Memento a lot. No, Inception was the first Nolan movie I saw. Same, loved it. Oh I mean, that gosh. was high school. It was just everyone Blue loved my it. Mind. Like it. Yeah, it Blue was my great. Mind. Um, yeah, I think I think if. Also, Tenet blew my mind too. Yeah, Tenet's fantastic. Yeah, have you seen Dunkirk yet? I love Dunkirk. Dunkirk's fantastic. I'm going Oppenheimer. I've seen that yet. Oppenheimer's is. I'm gonna say it now. Oppenheimer's his best movie. Interstellar is amazing. I love the last scene of Tenet. The last scene of Tenet mm, is maybe my favorite. Good, good scene. Good scene. I think. I think it would be a toss up for me between Memento and Tenet. I think Memento is a better story. Mm-hmm. I think Tenet is more interesting as a film. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. All right. Last question. And then we're going to wrap up for the night. We've gone too long. Thank you again for staying tuned to this very special bonus episode. This last question is going to take more time than we actually have, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because this is the only chance that I'm going to have this, have this chance to ask this in person. So I'm taking it now. Okay. We may need to take a pause for station identification Uh-oh. or something. Um, Three books every man should read. I was supposed to be thinking about this. You were supposed to be thinking about it. Three books every man should read. Should we pause for refills and then get into it? Sure. Okay. All right, here we go. Three books every. We're gonna let's go back and forth a little bit here. We're gonna start with. We're gonna we're gonna preface this by saying at some point we gotta expand the list to three books every boy. Every teen, every man, maybe every old man. Well, I'm, I'm not an old man yet, so I can't tell you. So, but maybe, maybe on episode 1,372, we'll get to books every yes, old man should read. We ever get that far? But books uh, I went. Man should read. I went and grabbed a few books off my bookshelf. These are not top three. I'm already breaking the rule. Not top three. <laughs> um, I've got a few here. I've got some that are. I've got two fiction right here, and then two nonfiction. Oh, I've got another nonfiction. Um, and I lent out a book I love to a good friend, um, which I don't have here right now, but good book nonetheless. Um, so I'm going to start with a book I think we both love. Okay. Uh, that's Marcus Aurelius. Meditations. Meditations. Yeah, good pick. I've only just now read this recently for yeah. the first time. Um, 
It's been incredibly impactful. It's a great book. Great, great work of philosophy. This is going to be the only philosophical work I contribute to this discussion. That's good. He's not a Christian. Nope. Um, so don't read it as a Christian work. Uh, helpful nonetheless. Helpful nonetheless. And I think one of the best examples of how a great man should live. Yeah. So that's my first pick. Yeah, it's a phenomenal, I mean, it's a phenomenal exp, um, explanation of, you know, stoic philosophy, mm -hmm. which I think, especially in America, that's a lot of where we get our ideas of like what yeah. a man should be is like that stoic, stoic philosophy. philosophy. So it's a great example. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I'm, I, I also have one philosophical book to contribute, Okay. which I think will be no surprise to people who have listened to the show before, but I'm going to go with Soren Kierkegaard's The Sickness Unto Death. I have not read that. Um, I think it's a great, uh, a great explanation of just some things that we've forgotten in the American church um, and in the modern day church, and, and namely just this idea of um, what's at stake with a soul, you mm. know. Uh, and I think the importance of remembering that we are created beings who have souls, and we, we just can't forget that. And if I think if we forget that, then we're we're making some serious mistakes. Mm. So I'm going to go with. I mean, that's my that's my first pick. I should read that then. It's a tough read. It's, I mean, it's not an easy one, but I, I think it's really, really worth it with, with sticking with. And there, trust me, there's a lot worse philosophical books that I could put on this list, but I'm not going to subject our listeners to that. Fair enough. And for a fiction work, I feel like Lord of the Rings goes without saying. It does go without talking. saying. Yeah. I want to use this opportunity to not put Tolkien on this list. Good. Purely so I can get some something else on this list. Good. So Tolkien's on the list, people. Tolkien is on the list. But it's a, it's a sleeper pick. Not a um, sleeper pick, but a... Well, it's 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 one of those where it's already obvious, so yeah, why would yeah, I? Yeah. And, you know, kind of like Bible's already obvious. So like, yeah, kidding. Exactly. The Bible and Lord of the Rings are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> Bible is superior. Um, I have two different works of fiction here, which greatly impacted me. <clears throat> JJ, three books. No, I'm kidding. I'm because I'm gonna cheat too. So yeah, yeah, I'm cheating. I'm getting I'm getting categories. I'm getting three categories. Okay, yeah, good categories. I have um, Captain Blood and To Kill a Mockingbird. Both good. You've read both. Um, I've read To Kill a Mockingbird. I, I don't think I've read Captain Blood. Captain Blood. Um, incredible work of fiction impacted me. It's it's one of those stories where the main character is thrown into a set of circumstances that he never asked for or wanted. Yeah. And he becomes something he never knew he could be. Mm -hmm. um, to Kill the Mockingbird, of course, anyone that's been in a high school literature class has had to read this, um, works through what, is, what does a man do when he must do something he knows he is right that is against everything anyone else wants. Right. Going against the social code. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I read To Kill a Mockingbird earlier than Captain Blood. Mm -hmm. I don't know which has had a greater impact on me. I think at the time, To Kill a Mockingbird, like it wrapped, I mean, it was all I thought about for yeah. months. Um, shoot, I have a third work of fiction I have to add that I've Go been thinking about. Do it. The Road. Good. I was hoping we were going to get Cormac McCarthy on here. I have one too. But, but I wanted that with a clarification of I think that one is best for fathers. married men, but specifically fathers. Okay. I don't think it's one that every man should read necessarily, but mm -hmm. I think every father should read. Okay. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, everyone should read. Captain Blood is just such a great book. Like, it's just fun. I, I, I don't know. 
it's one of those where honestly, I don't know if it deserves to be in the top three of a book of lists of books every man should read, but it's a book that was important to you. It's yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it impacted me in a lot of ways. Um, along, I mean, it's, it's about, it's about sailing sailors, etc. I, I love sailing. I mean, I have this great biography of John Paul Jones. I oh love, my gosh. yeah. Um, and just, just that, those types of stories. Yeah. And maybe that's part of it. It just added to the repertoire of those stories. Right. And it gave along with a, along with a great fiction story that just impacted me in a way that I don't think other stories of that genre have. Yeah. Versus, have you read Moby Dick? I have not actually. I'm in the middle of it right now. It's, it's yeah, locked. I haven't, good. I haven't gone through it yet. Um, anyway, but the road, that is one of the few books that has made me cry. Yeah. I mean, straight up. I like. I, no, I, I get, I get. You get emotional just talking about it. I love the road, which I think is it, it's a testament to how good it is and how important a story it is to read. But again, I think it's one of those that I think fathers especially should read. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to rereading it, Lord willing, when I become a father, mm-hmm. because I right now it's a book that I'm like, this is a really good book, but I think when I become a father. Like right now, there are other there are there are tears in JJ's oh, eyes fine, right fine. now. I just wanted said on the record. Anyway, there that are, one I read when I first like my son was a couple months old. Yeah, well that'll devastate you. Tore me apart, man. Yeah, oh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book. Um, but I'm looking I'm looking forward to rereading it. Yeah. When I get to that point, because I I'm a big crier. Oh no! I'm sure. I'm a heap of misery. Big oh. crier. Like there's movies that I've I don't cry in movies typically. I've never I don't... seen you cry. Really? I don't think. Maybe you're I don't think cry. I have a list of crying. movies that I've cried in. Really? Yeah. Is it a big list? No, it's like four or five. Lady the Eagle is one of them. Really? Nineteen seventeen. Oh, that's a good movie. Uh Return of the King. Yep. Um Did you see Rudy? Uh you know, I, I like that movie, but again, I'm not I, You're not a sports guy. I think I think that one didn't hit me as as hard. Um, Marriage Story is the movie. That oh, this in. one's kind of embarrassing. I cried in Tangled. Oh my! God. I cried in Tangled. Tangled is just a good story. It's a great story, regardless of whether it's one every man. It's just a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, also, kind of it, this one less embarrassing. I think I think this one was a phenomenal film. Inside Out. Oh, it's a good one. That took me to tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Gods and Generals. That's one I haven't seen. You, you need to watch it. That one in Gettysburg is actually a two-part. Oh, maybe I have seen it then, because I know I saw Gettysburg. Um, and that one's it's a little controversial because it's very much it, kind of Southern sympathizer right, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the story that's telling about the individuals caught in the mm-hmm. midst of the war, mm-hmm. regardless of the politics, regardless of what's going on, a lot of these men are... It's a deep story. Yeah. They, yeah. Think about it. If you're caught in a place where you're you feel attachment to a certain place. You yeah. feel attachment to your family, your people, et cetera. Yeah. And you're caught in a place where you're not committing the wrongs of either side necessarily. You're, you're caught in the middle. Yeah. What you do. Yeah. 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 That's and, the story of those films. Right. Um, that, Oh, and the book across five Aprils that made me cry. I've never heard of that across five Aprils. It's about a small family. Um, they live it's southern Illinois, northern Kentucky, somewhere in there. Yeah. Right at that kind of border of like, are you southern? Are you northern? Yeah, 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 yeah. Half their boys go and fight for the south. Yeah. Half their boys go and fight for the north. Yeah. And the, the the story is told through 
they, they continually are getting letters from each set of boys. Oh, so it's like a, it's through the letters. Well, there's there's story in, in the mystery. Oh, uh, um, okay, okay. Mama read aloud to me when I was, uh, I don't know. Oh, I bet that was school. brutal. That story broke me. Yeah. Because it was it was the realization of both sets of boys lay out their arguments for why they're fighting for one side versus mm-hmm. the other. Both sets of boys have the knowledge that at any battle they could be facing off against their brothers. Right. And it, that that truly, in some ways, regardless of what you think about the North and South, that is such part, that is such a part of the modern American identity of yeah. we were brought as a nation to the point where we fought against our brothers. Yeah, hundred percent. How does that happen? And mm-hmm. that book explores that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to check that out. You, you need to read it. Yeah. Um, the list of movies that have made me cry is exceedingly long. Really? Exceedingly. I just listed every single one. No, I, I'm a I'm a ferocious crier in movies. <laughs> and um, it's terrible because I watch movies with my wife and my wife does not cry in movies. Like Oh really? Never. That's funny. Never cries in movies. So there's been movies that we've watched where, you know, you know, it's always like the guy is like, it's okay. But we've been watching movies where it, movies that I've seen multiple times where I just cry. And she's like, are you okay? Like, she knows when I'm going to cry. Well, see, that's the thing, is if it's a movie that I cry in, I'm guaranteed to cry in. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. That's that's part of it. The movie I've cried the most in is Marriage Story. It's so good. It's the story of a family going through a divorce. Oh, no. And it's Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. I like Adam Driver. It's it's phenomenal. Um, The first time I saw it, I cried three times. The second time I saw it, I cried five times. Oh, my word. The third time I saw it, I was watching with two other guys who hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, guys, you got to watch this movie. It's such a good movie. I'll watch it with you. We're going to watch it. So we sit down and start watching it. And I'm watching with him. As soon as the movie starts, like the first word of the movie, I start crying. You're already crying. I'm already crying. And I'm sitting in between these two other guys. And they're looking at each other like, are you going to comfort him? Are you going to do something with you? So finally, (laughs) one of the guys puts his arm over my shoulders. It's okay. It's okay. I just cried the whole movie. The whole movie. I was crying. So anyway, I won't go into movies that I've I've cried through, but but I do want to say, for my for my second pick, I'm gonna cheat too. Okay, that's fair. I've been cheating this whole time. I've got so many stories in already, books and movies. But I'm gonna cheat, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put science fiction as a category. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna think every man should read science some science fiction. Oh, totally. Especially in the time and place where where we are. Yeah, it's just super great, cool. great science fiction works. And and two that I'm gonna put forward are. Or works from writers. I'm gonna put forward um, Fahrenheit 451, mm-hmm. or really anything that Ray Bradbury has ever written. Okay. Um, and and Ender's Game. See, I almost grabbed Ender's Game. Yeah. And that one had an impact on me as I don't know, I probably was 14 when I read it. Yeah. So I love the book Ender's Game. It's probably one of the books I've read the most. Mm. Reread it a bunch sure, of times. Sure. And and I've said before, I've probably learned more about leadership from that book than any book that's like about leadership that book is incredible you have to be aware it is it is a mormon book oh yeah for sure you have to be aware of that but aside from that it's like it's I mean, that book had a serious impact oh it's phenomenal it, it could easily make my list but too. I, man i kind of want to ditch one of these for ender's game i don't know but this but the series as a whole i don't know if you read the whole series no i haven't but there's a whole there's two tracks so if you've read ender's mm-hmm. game there's one set of books that follows ender when he goes back to earth or he goes, he goes to space. He goes to like yeah. another planet. And there's another book that follows the events on Earth after the events of Ender's Game. 
Oh, interesting. And there's a whole arc that happens with those. And when I got huh. to the last book of those, when I got to the last of the ones following the things that happen on Earth, I was like weeping. I there was like things that happened in that book that I was like, I cannot believe I gotta this read it happened. Now. It was that was amazing. So that that one I think is great. And I think it's just good because it shows you a it changes it for me it changed the way that I look at kids. I was a kid when I read it. I was like yeah. sixteen. But from then on, I was like, there's a way that you can talk to kids and the way that kids think that is smart. Like they see so much yeah. more of the world than. Well, it's the classic. You ask an adult, um, how many uses for a brick can you figure out? Mm -hmm. And how many you ask a kid, the kid's going to figure out exponentially more uses for a brick than the adult, right? They see the world differently. And Fahrenheit 451, I mean, I can't think of a book that more people need to read than that book. Just to see Brave New World, though, the flip side is also very equally important, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, Because the two of them combined are kind of what make up a lot of the world we're in today. Yeah. Because I don't think either of them was 100% correct. Sure. I think you combine them and you have the society we have today. Right. And both are prophetic and both are da- you know, both are dangerous and both, mm-hmm. and both make mistakes. And oh, yeah. Yeah. They're just things that we- and they have their flaws. They're not meant. I mean, again, these are books every every man. I don't know, man. Every every person, person over read. a certain age should read. I, yeah. They're, they're, there's all of these books, I would clarify, have some content issues that are not necessarily for. You know, yeah, it's, it's not for every reader. Yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely meant for at least uh, guys late high school or later in high school or college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and some of that's just due to some of the there's darker themes, but also some of the stuff they talk about. You know, they're kind of like just like, why would you put that in a book? Okay. But also, I think Brave New World's that way a little bit. The way that we, oh yeah, definitely. But the way that we started this conversation was like. Three books every man should read. That's fair. You know? If we dare call ourselves men. If we, yeah. If we, um, affectations aside. Also, the writing of Fahrenheit 451 is just like, it's phenomenal. I have it's an admission so... to make. I haven't read it. Oh my gosh. I've read Brave New World, though. You're telling me. Yeah. Um, read it. It's it's so, it's got like the best first sentence of a book. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. It was a pleasure to burn. Oh, interesting. It's such a, it's so good. That's fascinating. Um, do you want to go for the last? segment or should i start yeah my last my last segment um i mean if yours is short and easy no it's actually okay. like deliberately the opposite okay i have i have my kind of i've chosen the category of like um not philosophy not really self-help just like general guidance for men kind yeah. of thing. i hate the term self-help mm-hmm. i think because it's it's one it's there's no such thing as self-help misleading you can only grow by the grace of god but the um, the idea of just growing yourself as a man, work, working through various things. Um, I actually have three. Unfortunately, <laughs> I love I love that Four, we started maybe. with three books <laughs> every man should read. Has turned into like seven or eight. twelve books every man <laughs> and seven honorable mentions. <laughs> anyway, um, I there have been several books in that category that have had a major impact on me. One is uh, sitting over there, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. One day we're going to have to do... We need to do... Because we have different opinions on Yeah, Jordan we have Peterson. different opinions on Jordan Peterson. 12 Rules for Life, I think, is a very valuable work. I don't agree with everything that's in there. Yeah. Um, he he has different philosophies than I do. He has yeah. different understandings of history and biology than I do. That's fine. Uh, I think what he's trying to do with that book is very valuable. And I yeah. think men should read that. We're gonna have to say we're gonna have to say that for a different time yep. because yeah, I have different experiences with that. Uh, another one. This one's a bit older. It's uh, Thomas Brooks. 
precious remedies against Satan's devices. Um, a, a Puritan work. Always good. If you haven't read this, Mm-mm. definitely should. It's very challenging. Uh, it, it works through the various lies that we are told by Satan, various lies that we're told by the devil. Yeah. Um, and kind of helps work through why they are lies, why they are clear lies. Mm-hmm. Um, from scripture, gives clear examples of here's how you address these lies. Yeah. Very challenging. Um, tough for me to read because every single one of these things is something I struggled with. Yeah. Um, and the lies are all lies that I've told myself. Yeah. So if anything, read it so you can identify those lies yeah. and identify them yourself. I'm going to have to, I'll have to pick that yeah. up. That sounds like a good read. Absolutely. Um, a book that I don't have here because it's being borrowed by a friend, uh, The Intellectual Life by uh, Serge Lange. I can't pronounce his name. It's French. I don't know if I've read that one or not. Um, and that one is less, like, less impactful in the sense of, here's this great philosophical thing or this thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very practical. It's mm-hmm. very, how do you live a life of constant learning? Mm-hmm. Um, why should you do that? Yeah. He takes a lot of philosophy from Thomas, Aqu- Thomas Aquinas, uh, Catholic thing, Catholic yeah. stuff. So there's some things we go like, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, but I think his general principles and his general guidance, very good. The last one, a modern work had an impact on me. Uh, I guess college, when did it come out? Very recent. Anyway, Kevin DeYoung, Crazy Busy. Yep. Uh, this one, it's a, there's a tagline, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. It's basically saying our problem, a lot of problems in modern America, we all, our common answer is, I'm, I'm so busy right now. I'm busy. How are you doing? Oh, right. I'm busy. Yep. Um, and he's just addressing that and saying, does it have to be that way? Why is it that way? Here's some, here's some help. Here's some tips. Very practical, very short, very simple. It's. I don't think that this will necessarily be a book in 100 years, 200 years, 300 years that we're right. still talking about. But I think right now, it it's very much addresses us where we are. Yeah. No, that's good. So that's kind of my... The, the, they kind of have different categories yeah. in that sense. So this might have been a better... Three books every man should read in, the, in this category. Three, three books every man should read in this category. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, Well, for my, for my cheat... For my last category, so I went, I went one philosophy book, but I actually stuck with one, and I went with science fiction as the category for okay. two. For three, I'm going to go with extremely long novels. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> and I think every man should read at least one of those. Like, oh my gosh, you're reading that novel. Um, yeah, and and I'm kind of a masochist when it comes to reading, so I of course. So I love those books, but I think they're really important. So I'm just going to list a couple that I've read that I, that I think are really important totally. that people should read. Um, Les Miserables Ooh. is phenomenal. I have – this is one of my few bragging rights. Yeah. I read that book in three days. You read that book in three days? Loved it. Okay, that's that's impressive. I was I, on a road trip. Granted, yeah. all I had was time. I was sitting in a van for yeah. three days straight. Yeah. Love that book. That's so good. I read, and my other piece that bragging right is I read the book before I ever saw the play. Yeah, yeah. I saw the play this year for the first time. Really? Did yeah. you like it? I enjoyed it. It it's, was really good. It was not. It's not as having. It was weird because a lot of people, you know, read see the play first before they read the book, mm-hmm. and um, so everybody loves the play, raves about it, and it's a very, very good play. It's a very good play. But in my opinion, it just does not do justice oh, to no, the story. Not. So I did the same thing. I read the book before I saw 
the movie. And I have not seen the movie. The movie's good. It's not amazing, but it's I heard good. Some of it's pretty rough. Some of it is pretty bad. Um, yeah. I some of the casting choices. I'm like, did you really think that was the right guy for that? But yeah, yeah, that's beside the point. Um, but I think it's a it's a it's a book that um, when you look at the size of it is just enormous. But when you read it, you realize that every page counts. Like, mm. There's a reason for every chapter. Um, it's true. People people talk about like, oh, why does it go on with Waterloo for so long? Right. Like, well, first off, it's the most beautiful description of Waterloo I've ever read in my mm-hmm. life. Second off, without that whole description, you don't understand the contrast of the characters. That's, yeah, that's present in that moment. I mean, I'm not, I guess people have seen it, so it's not really spoilers. But whatever. But, but, yeah, but we, maybe anyway. we don't have the time to go into all yeah. that. I think the, the point being, you don't get the contrast. Like so much of that book is contrast. Yeah. That is so much of that story. Well, the first, you know, I always think about the first couple of chapters, mm-hmm. really like, it's like the first 50 pages, where it's like the first scene between Jean Valjean and like the priest. It's crazy. The play gives so much more to that than the book, like in terms of percentages. Right. It's funny. There are things like that that, that clearly do have more impact. I don't understand that. But, the, but in the book, like that's a whole, there's a whole scene about like the candlesticks mm-hmm. and the priest and like how this works and how the parish works. And you need to know all these things to understand how important it is that the priest decides to give away the candlesticks right you know so it's very significant actually. but if you don't if you don't and realize it and you're like, well, yeah sure he's gonna give away I, have, I mean i have a candlestick right here yeah i don't right. candle in it but candlestick like yeah. whatever so but it's the whole thing so i really miss um uh count of count count of monte cristo okay i'm about halfway through that right now so good Oh I'm enjoying gosh. it so far. Yeah. Don't tell me the ending. I won't tell you the ending. Have you what? got to the part yet where he's on the island by himself? Uh, you talking about wait, which time? Like he discovers the gold. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, there. Yeah. I'm there. I'm way. I'm past that. I'm where um with the guys in Rome. Okay, yeah, yeah. Actually, he's just about to go visit. Um, is it Alfair? Something like that. In France. It's been a while since I've read it. Yeah, yeah. But I mispronounce the names. I'm terrible. That's one of the things about these some of these older books. Yeah. That have been translated. The, the names, mm-hmm. I, they start, be, they become a, a thing on the page rather right. than the name in my head. Right. I don't, I don't know how to remedy that. I don't either. I don't know. I maybe learn the language. But, <laughs> but that's a lot of work. Yeah. But there's the, the scene where uh, the Count of Monte Cristo like goes and like go, goes to discover the gold. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I am going to survive and I'm going to go back and get revenge. Is like one of the most like, yes. Moments. Well, there's that whole moment where it, like, oh, yeah, he goes back to France and it's like, as he's tracking down the various. Oh, it's so good. Effectively. Oh my word. Um, so that one uh, is one of my favorites, and then Don Quixote. Have you ever read Don Quixote? I, you know, I attempted. It was I. This was one of those attempts when I was like, I don't know, thirteen. I was yeah. Like, this is a book apparently people should read. Right. I tried to pick it up. I mean, it was too early for me. I yeah. should pick it up again. Yeah. It cracked me up. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I related a little bit. You know, it's funny. It's funny. It's one of the top selling books of all time. Right. It's the first novel. You know why? Why? Um, why it's one of the most top-selling books of all time. Hmm. One is one of the only novels that is prescribed reading in Spain. Oh, really? It's also, if you think about it, the only good work of literature Spain has ever, ever produced. <laughs> so they're incredibly proud of it. So they just keep printing off more copies of it I've done and boosting the numbers. Right. So like, actually, proportionally, it doesn't get as widely read, but because it has every school child in Spain has to have a copy of it. They it just it boosts the numbers. It. <laughs> so it's like the top ten works sold of all time. <laughs> that's amazing. It's a great. It's a great book. It's it's really a lot of fun. I just think that's one of the funniest. Like it somehow beats out all kinds of the great books. Yeah. 
Uh, another one that's really modern is Infinite Jest. I've read that. It's really it's it's one of the hardest books to read just physically. It's okay. enormous. It's probably like one of the longest books I've ever read. Um, I was reading it most of senior year of college. Oh yeah, it took that long. Yeah, but I was doing it on like cross country bus trips. That's mm, how I was mm-hmm. reading it. Um, but I think it, it's, it's man, I miss those. It's a phenomenal book for understanding like the modern world and like the internet and mm. in like the nineties and stuff like oh. that. Oh. Amusing ourselves to death. Oh my gosh, yes. Dude, that should be on the list. That's 100% on the list. Um, okay, we need a list of 100 books. We need to like get an article on the website about yeah. kind of our favorite books and kind of go back and forth about them a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the last two books I'll just recommend for people that I'm in the middle of right now. I've been in the middle of uh, Tolstoy's. You're always in the middle of a lot of books. Of like six books. Yeah. I usually read like six books at a time. I get, I, I, I read like two at a time max. <laughs> so right now I'm reading The Catcher in the Rye. Um, Heart of Darkness, Paradise Lost. Moby you haven't read Dick. Paradise Lost? No, I have. I'm rereading oh, okay, it. Okay. Um, I'm rereading it. Uh, Paradise Lost and uh, yeah, Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. And then War and Peace. Um, War and Peace I haven't picked up in a while. But War and Peace and Moby Dick, those are like two examples of books. The, there's a list of books out there that are considered all-time greats that I just yeah. haven't gotten. I mean, I've gotten some of them. Right. So actually, you want a list of books. 1,000 books to read before you die. By, it's just a full list. It's by James Mustich. This was an Art of Manliness recommendation. And it's literally every page is just like I opened up. Here's the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, right next to Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. So it, Undertaking Adventures on the Wine Route. Let me, all kinds of stuff. Let me just wrap up this little section. Lois and Tove. Oh, yeah. Um, I, think that I, think the, I think what's valuable about reading a novel that's as arduous as Les Mis or yeah. um, Don Quixote is that it, it takes so much effort. And, and that increases the reward. It increases the reward. And mm-hmm. I, I think you know it's, it's long been said that one of the values of reading novels is that they give you this ability to see the other side of the table. You know, and I think mm. a, a book like Les Mis is valuable because you have to spend so much time with characters that you may not agree with. You know, you have to spend so much time getting to know these people. And then when you have these great moments that are moments of conflict or moments of resolution, you're, you have this moment of understanding where it's like, oh, this is why this single moment in a man's life is valuable. Yeah. This is why this single moment in man's life has consequence. And I think it gives you a greater appreciation for those moments in your life that are this is a single moment that has been led to for you. Maybe that's why I like something about like Captain Blood. Yeah. So if you haven't read it, um, it's about a doctor mm-hmm. who he I mean this is not really a spoiler, first couple of pages. He cares for someone who revolts against the government. Yeah. And therefore, he's been accused as being part of the revolution. He's a doctor. It's yeah. part of his code. He has to help anyone. Hippocratic oath and whatnot. Um, so that's the first choice he makes. The next choice is he's 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 it's Britain. He, right. Um, so he's exiled. That's a common punishment. He's exiled. Um, you know, a lot of exiles are sent to Australia or or to the colonies in the U.S. or well, from the U.S. Yeah, but they were sent to the colonies. My ancestors, some of them, were actually sent to colonies as, as uh, exiles. <laughs> that explains place. a lot. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the Scottish were. That was oh, yeah, that's yeah, part yeah. of the Scottish uh, tragedy. A lot, yeah, of, uh, a lot of the clans were torn apart by that. Anyway, um, Captain Blood, his story is kind of part of that. But he's sent to I think uh, the Caribbean. Okay. Um, 
and he's faced with choices surrounding some of the slavery that's happening there and yeah. faced with choices about what's going on yeah. in the Caribbean. Um, and he makes some choices that change his life forever. Anyway, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, Read and it's it. like I think, and I think once you realize that that this is what our lives are made of is these little choices, right? And it's a series of choices that lead us to be who the men we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, that's part well, of the point of the, the podcast. Question, some of the question is, how many of those choices are ones where the answer is obvious? Right. And how many of them are, you know, because like, I feel like, or it seems like a lot of choices actually have an obvious solution. It's just, it's a hard choice to make. Especially for the people involved. Or it's a hard commitment to make, right? The choice is easy. The commitment's hard. And then there are right. other choices where the choice is actually difficult, but once the choice is made, the commitment is you easy. gotta stick with it. Yeah. Uh, so you've got those. You've got a couple of different kinds of choices, right? Like that. So you gotta choose to read a book like Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm just uh, we're we're getting um, far afield here, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are the the. Let's say there was one I thought of just now. If it's the Bible, it doesn't it'll, it'll come to me at some point. It's gonna it, as soon as we start doing the outro, the, that's when you're gonna think. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, but I'll start talking. This is my what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start wrapping up the episode. Yeah, and I'm gonna let you cut in <laughs> when you think of it. Um, but thank you for listening to this extremely long uh, bonus episode. What's really funny about this is before we started this episode, we had like committed to each other that we were going to do like, <laughs> 30 minutes. Like, we said, 40, See, the problem is I could do this all night. We said 45 minute hard out. Oh yeah. We were like 30 minutes to 45, 45, 45 and, done. and I'm not checking too hard here, but I think we're getting on close to two hours. All so, those, yeah. um, thank you dear listener for hanging in with us and for, uh, hanging out with us on this, this fine uh, bonus episode. We hope it's been uh, enjoyable. We will be back next Saturday with our regularly scheduled programming. Um, so keep having those conversations, keep having fun, and uh, we'll see you then. This has been the Forging Honor Podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey. On our website, you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the many resources we mentioned in the show. And we do make a small amount from any purchases you make through our website links, so thank you in advance. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of Forging Honor. We'll see you next time. Do 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 do.